Welcome to Blacklisted Marks. My name is Nick Stumphauser. I'm Spencer Field. Should you take drugs, Spencer? I would say no to that question. However, I will not be prescriptive. Rather, I will only be descriptive during the course of this episode. Thank you for listening to Blacklisted Remarks. My name is Nick <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We have we have a Blacklisted Remarks episode, which didn't take 45 minutes of oral processing to, to go somewhere. Oh, wait no. a minute. Hold on a second. I have a feeling you might have an opinion on this topic, which hasn't been voiced just. Uh, well, I guess I'm obligated to share it. Uh, yes, I do think that you should. Oh. But as the good podcasters that we are, we must... <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> first define what is a drug. Good question. So to you, Spencer, what is a drug? Um, I would say a drug. So I'd say there's two definitions of drugs. Um, I'd say the first definition is a chemical substance taken to produce a um, specific physiological uh outcome of some sort so i'd say like a penicillin could be considered a drug i think most people would agree that penicillin is a drug that i think that there is a uh, a definition which we're using in the course of this podcast which would be um a drug is usually an illicit substance uh if you're listening in the u.s or if you're all those russians listening to us russian bots thank you for listening you're driving up our podcast listening numbers uh is it usually an illicit substance taken to create some sort of pleasant um, or abnormal physiological or mental uh, state. So I disagree with both. Okay, great. So, so that's a minute, minute and 50, 50 seconds. seconds. Last time was two minutes and 30 seconds. Hey, we're doing good. So we, is... We're going to keep this going. We're going to start disagreeing on our names soon <laughs> enough if we keep this trend line going. Um, I think it's there's a more succinct definition. If you just Google what drugs, definition of drugs. Um, let's see what it comes up with. Here Please hold. Your request is important to us and will be answered in the order in which it receives. According to uh, our, our good friends over at Google, drug, a medicine or other substance which has a physiological effect when ingested or otherwise introduced into the body. I feel like that's pretty close to my first definition. It is close. I'm surprised they don't mention anything about psychological. Uh, should we go over to our good old Merriam-Webster? Yeah, let's give it a shot. Hey, uh, Merriam-Webster says, definition A, a substance used at a, as a medication or a or in the preparation of medicine. Something and often an illegal substance that causes addiction, hallucinations. There's your psychology. Sure. A commodity that is not, is that salient? Uh, saleable. Saleable. Or for which there is no demand. That's a very strange definition. Sure. I, we, do you like any of these so far? Or should we keep not, perusing? Not really. Right. What, maybe we can strike upon a definition. Um, a medicine or other substance. I'm feeling pretty good about my original definition so far. I mean, okay. I, I if think there's if a TV I can... show about coming up with definitions, I feel like I just cr recorded yeah. my introductory uh, episode. Well, I mean, if, if we can add in psychological effects to it i would probably hop on board with that see i think that when you're using the word drug you're taking the actual definition of the word drug and creating this like subsection 
of it and saying the definition of drug is this subsection of the word drug. I just want to make sure that subsection is not included or not excluded. Discluded, yeah. yeah. Um, because I think, yeah, it can change physiologically. Like I take Motrin or I take caffeine or something like that. But I mean, like even caffeine in your coffee affects your brain more than it affects like, you know, your fingers, or your toes. Right. I think if you have an expansive idea of what the word physiological means and okay. how that overlaps with mental states, you'll, sure. you'll get pretty far. Okay. All right. So you said that, no, you think people should not take drugs. I would say not with our, my second definition of, of the word here. Got it. So you're okay with things like Motrin and coffee and. Yep. And uh, taking into account, I've had at least three Lungas or long poles today. I don't know what. Uh, it's a, it's an espresso drink that. Uh, I, I would say that either I'm a huge hypocrite, which is also true, or um, I, I'm not okay with that. But I would say, yes, I'm okay with definition A of drugs. Definition B of drugs, I think, is less wise. It sounds like you would also agree with definition A, taking right. Motrin is acceptable. We're not yeah. going to burn anybody at the stake for Motrin taking, at yeah. least not yet. Um, definition B, we differ on. So, Nick, why is it that you think people should take drugs with the understanding that that's a pretty strong prescriptive statement uh i think that healthy people should take drugs mm, wait, should uh, take the second definition can we use a word other than just drugs because i feel like that's going to get a little confusing okay a little quickly i think yes that's a very good very good point i think psychologically stable individuals should take psychedelics ah okay that's i don't think that anyone should abuse any drug just as anyone ought not abuse anything. In sure. addition, I think that drugs uh, that are dopaminergic, um, alcohol, nicotine, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamines, uh, should be avoided at all costs. Okay. I, don't, I don't see them as expanding the human experience. I see it as snuffing it out very rapidly. Okay, so just before we hit the six-minute mark in our podcast, which is coming up, here shortly, it sounds like Nick and Spencer agree on the vast majority of drugs, probably something like 95 or 98% of what what could be termed drugs and their appropriate usage, yeah. both personal and social. We both agree on that taking drugs is fully acceptable most of the time. And where we differ is not is not even just on hard drugs like heroin or something like that. We probably both agree right. is just generally not a good yeah. idea. And now we have this disagreement on um, a specific subset of a specific subset of type, right. type of drugs. And and I also think it's important to to distinguish that we're not talking about legality here. Spencer and I really don't care. I mean, personally, I'm a libertarian who says that if you want to shoot up heroin in your basement and you know die by age 26, that's your you know right to yeah. to do that. Spencer would have a different idea, but sure. Um, so, but I, I think we're not really concerned about, you know, legalization or, or what the government says you should or shouldn't do just like outside of law itself. Maybe we can get to that in a little bit, but outside of the law itself, uh, should you as a human being living on earth take any drug period, but now we're specifically talking about psychedelics. Sure. So Spencer, uh, oh, you're going to Google now. You Googling psychedelics. I, I am. I, I like to get a good definition of what a psychedelic drug is just so we can because i feel like we've spent a pretty good uh amount of time arguing about the definition of drugs let's see here for sure so for the audience that doesn't know uh we're specifying a very specific subset of the drug 
um, there's two categorizations. You have, um, you know, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, and stuff like that, and then you have psychedelics. Um, and while Spencer is frantically trying to acquire the correct definition, let's oh, see. Oh, I, I have Botanica. many. I have many correct definitions. However, they're all paragraphs long, and we Got rant it. long enough here. Um, okay, Britannica, good old Britannica. Grab your cup of tea, settle down with some crumpets. Uh, a psychedelic drug, also called a psychochromatic drug or hallucinogen. Psychomimetic. A psychomimetic drug or hallucinogen. Any of the so-called mind-expanding, Spencer just says air quotes, mind-expanding drugs that are able to, quote, um, induce states of altered perception and thought frequently within a higher awareness of sensory input, but with a diminished control over what is being experienced, also hallucinogen. That's a great way to put it. I will redact your inserted air quotes around those things, just because according to Britannica, the, the air quotes, I think, makes it seem like the whole mind expanding thing. Is... Sure, sure. Yeah, they're not. Act... Spencer's doing air quotes because right. he feels there should be air quotes. Right. Those were not. That was not a direct quotation. Britannica, don't come after me. Wasn't so. Me. So I think that's the the specific thing we're talking about. Um, things like LSD, mescaline, psilocybin, MDMA. Um, let's see what else. Uh, uh, ayahuasca, DMT things like that. Um, so to summarize, no, you, you think that people should not take any of the psychedelics. Okay. So now we have, we have a totally new question before us than what we started with about right. 10 minutes ago. Um, right. I would say that it would be up to the individual whether or not they would want to consume such substances. Well, I'm glad that you're not controlling everyone in the world. Thank you. Yes. I try not to. I mean, if somebody was to control everybody in the world, I feel like I'd be a very qualified individual. Uh -huh. Not, um, but <laughs> but uh, I would do so. I would say, hey, it's your choice to do. However, I would put many caveats in front of that. So kind of like I would put many caveats in front of doing any dangerous activity or potentially dangerous activity. Sure. So what would, uh, what would your first uh, reservation be? Sure. If, if, somebody, if somebody came up to you, some you know, 20 something came up to you and said, or actually you don't even know their age, maybe because they maybe that, you know, factors in. And they say, Spencer Field, should I go home and take a psychedelic? I have all of them on my kitchen table. Should I, <laughs> should I take one? Um, I probably wouldn't answer the question without knowing the person. I'd probably dodge or panic or freeze um, any one of the above. I say would say if a friend approached me and said, Spencer, should I take a psychedelic? I would ask them a series of questions and make sure that they were aware of a series of facts before they would cons consider doing that. And then only on maybe very rare occasions would I give them an opinion one way or the other, because I think that's a personal decision, something which my opinion maybe is not particularly relevant in. So it sounds to me like you think that the act of taking a psychedelic is a big deal. Would you would you agree that taking that form of drug is significant enough that you because if I said sure. Spencer, should I drink coffee this morning? You would probably feel a lot more comfortable answering that question. Yes. Than if you know, should I go trip on mescaline this evening? You know. Right. So I would answer this. I might put this in the same category. I don't know if this is true, but we're going to say it out loud okay. and see if the angels on my shoulders say anything. Um, would be that in the same way I would see driving or buying a motorcycle as a risky activity, um, I would also imagine 
um, taking psychedelics as a risky activity. I'd probably put them in the same the the same category. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. With all due respect, I believe that comes from a position of having either never ridden a motorcycle or of having no experience with psychedelics. Oh, I have I have no experience both. with either of them, but that does <laughs> not stop me from having an opinion. I'll have a full and complete opinion on whatever I want to. Yeah. Whether or not it's qualified or not is totally different. I also believe, I'm pretty sure I'd have to look at the, the charter of Blacklisted Remarks, but I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to talk about anything we have qualified opinions on. Yeah, I don't know what a, what qualified opinion would be. We, would we have to have like an MD or a DO or something? I'm not sure. Name, PhD. By yeah, I'm so least. not qualified in anything that I don't even know the answer to that question. Um, okay, interesting. Um, so let me flip some of these questions over to your side of the microphone here. Yeah. It sounds like you would be a proponent of people taking a psychedelic in some form or another. Yeah. Is that a fair summary? I would say that if you have no history of mental illness, nor are you predisposed to any form of mental illness, that in the right set and setting with pure ingredients and um, all the precautions in place, that it would be, you would be missing out on a very critical facet of the human experience to not take some form of psychedelic at some point in your life. So you would say this really isn't a neutral question. You're like, you know, if you want to go for it, I'm not going to give an opinion, something where I might be closer to a neutral. You would be an active engagement with a, with a few caveats, of course. Right. Um, But you would say, no, this is something that you should actively pursue and engage in. In as far as Aristotle's, quote about uh the unexamined life is not worth living um i would say that you cannot fully examine your life or your perspective would be severely hindered without the use of psychedelics hmm okay can you break that down because i'm pretty sure that wasn't what aristotle meant when he uttered those words no i have a feeling he probably had no concept of psychedelics at that point oh might disagree with that I mean, but they, they may have had i'm sure there was marijuana in some form at that point and maybe ayahuasca or, or something like that but the I, I don't think that's what he was referring to so i would say that um what what were you specifically trying to get at with your question so when you're talking about how you're missing out on the human experience or you're not fully examining your life what is it that you think that these psychedelics like unlock quote unquote, I will air quote this one unlock mm. about the human experience. Got it. Um, that is so necessary um, because here I'll just read this quote because I didn't like Britannica's definition. Ah, so go. I went over to addiction.org or .com, which is, gives me a much better definition. There you go. Just one which resonates so deeply with me. Right. It says a psychedelic drug is one that distorts a person's perception of reality. Psychedelic drugs are among the oldest known to mankind. They date back to ancient times. Um, Many are made from fungus or mushrooms, and they are man-made synthetic hallucinogens. And then it goes on to list several different terms of them. Um, So I I would say that oftentimes psychedelics are, are, uh, let's see, let's use the exact quote, are distorting a person's perception of reality. Yes. um, And not... producing a true understanding of reality, but some mythical experience around them. Um, yeah, so I would definitely disagree with that. So um, not to attack the source, uh, I would rather attack the claim in and of itself. I think that 
Um, so I think we should be clear. You've never taken any psychedelic. No. Uh, the closest thing that I've taken to a psychedelic would be um, copious amounts of THC, um, which by definition is not psychedelic or psychotropic, but it can have those effects sure. in, in high doses. Um, and so, so this is just strictly from, from research, from, uh, speaking with people, several of my friends have tried LSD, um, and, uh, a good friend of mine just did the hero's journey, which is, uh, five grams of, uh, psilocybin cubensis, which is, uh, magic mushrooms. Um, usually it's one to three grams is the beginner dose. And then the, sure. the hero's journey is considered, uh, five grams or above where, it's a total transportation through, um, like Joseph Campbell's description of the hero's journey. And it, some people have that experience, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and so, so neither Spencer or I have taken any of these substances, um, but back to fully unqualified opinion. Yeah. But, uh, I do think it's wrong to say that it just distorts reality. So, okay. so what would you say it does do to reality? Well, for example, um, there have been times where I've smoked marijuana and concluded something, written it down, and then the following day within sobriety realized that I had reached a conclusion that I had not previously understood. Sure. And that in the same way how you might have a very bizarre dream and the dream solves a problem subconsciously that, that you, you were not solving consciously. Sure. Um, I think the, uh, in the same way that meditation, um, I'll go back to almighty Sam Harris. Um, oh, hell. When he says uh, meditation and psychedelics will, will both take you somewhere. They will get you to some place. But whereas mindfulness meditation might be raising the sail on a sailboat, um, something like LSD would be strapping yourself to a rocket without a nav system. You will go somewhere something will happen in, in generally in a very short period of time, uh, depending on the, um, the, uh, the drug you take, but to say that you're just distorting reality, I think is a falsity. And well, would you say that what is done to reality then if you don't like that adjective, what adjective would you substitute? You're, you're stepping us out of your perspective mm -hmm. and seeing things from a totally different perspective. Okay. So I, and I think a shift in perspective, maybe that's the same as distorting reality, but I think it's, it's not changing reality itself. I think it's just giving you uh, a new location to look at reality from. So I would say uh, I, several years ago, I was in college and I needed some extra credit. So I decided I would take um, substance abuse as my uh, extra credit, a substance abuse class. It was under the psychology department, I think it was. Um, and my father, who was in the U.S. Coast Guard, dealt with individuals on all sorts of drugs throughout all sorts of times um, and all sorts of amounts and all sorts of crazy situations. So we're having this conversation several years back um, while I was in this course, and I would often go to him, especially to understand what different street names meant, because apparently it's really important to know what street names of drugs are when you're taking a college course on them, why I don't know. Um, but my college certainly thought it was important. And we were having this conversation about how drugs were des destructive, like what any good father would do. Um, and Nick goes, I don't know that a good father would do that, but uh, <laughs> moving on. And we had this conversation regarding like 
people taking LSD specifically and back right. in like the sixties and the seventies. Yeah. And um, his perspective on it. And I think this is something important to note is that some people would take this purely recreationally. It mm-hmm. wasn't designed to access a higher level of consciousness or help resolve a problem or better yeah. understand their life. They like, I want to go see a dragon. I couldn't find one in my backyard. So we're going to go make one. So I would, I would postulate that taking um, that taking these substances would produce a distorted perspective on reality, which I think when you listen to people's accounts of being on um, these psychoactive substances, like very rarely do they say like, oh, I saw a problem in a different scenario. Normally it's some, you know, crazy shenanigans which were going on um, and, and that's what they were seeing. So I would say that my first kind of comment based on that little story is that I think you would bring to the table two different perspectives. One of them doing this mindfully saying, I want to explore Mm -hmm. areas of life. And one of them just saying, I'm doing this for shits and giggles. Yeah. And then the second thing I would bring to the table as somebody who definitely hasn't had any experience with psychoactive substances, nor I guess I've had some conversations with people who have about their journey, quote unquote, um, that often that there were some times where they had a like an unlocking of perception, but more often than not, we were talking about like cats growing out of mushrooms, flying on kites, and and less about like a deep spiritual awakening. Sure, and I think that's there's a few reasons for that. So, um, in places like Peru, um, in shamanic uh, tradition, and um, uh, indigenous populations that use these substances, um, there's set and setting is everything. And just it's, for people who don't understand that term, break down what do you mean by set and setting? Um, the state of mind that you're in and the location that you're in sure. to ensure that you're ingesting these substances mindfully with a good intention and in order to improve, you know, to achieve a, a, a beneficial result set a bad set and setting would be like, uh, taking, a, a pill of Molly at a rave. Good set and setting might be going to, um, you know, the shore and, um, taking a very specific amount of yeah may not want to do that next to the shore but uh i so it sounds like not we've kind of reached another level of qualifications that nick would put on this so first we like we talked about all drugs that we talked about like quote hard drugs detrimental drugs so now we're talking about psychoactive drugs so you're saying not only psychoactive drugs are good but only in this particular quote set and setting which i would postulate if we could pull and honestly pull like a a statistically significant amount of people who have taken these psychoactive substances and ask them, was this done recreationally or mm-hmm. was this done in a quote mindful way mm-hmm. um, that I don't know what the numbers would be, but I would guess something north of 70% did this in a way which was um, loose and entertainment based. I would say it's closer to 50, 50 mm. um, because if you do any sort of, uh, research on forums or YouTube or Reddit or um, chat rooms uh, for psychedelics. Um, people are using them therapeutically. They're attempting to solve psychological problems. They're... See, I think that your sample size is 
your samples biased because people who are likely to be doing this for a, a more legitimate reason are more likely to be communicating that on Reddit, on forums, on YouTube. If somebody, but there, there are tens of thousands of people doing that, but you don't have tens of thousands of people each year going to the ER for a Molly overdose. Um, so I think that the, I still would fight that and say that I think the number of people who are doing this mindfully versus the people that are doing it, uh, recreationally is closer to 50, 50. Um, but I don't well, know. since neither of us have any data on it, <laughs> yeah. more unqualified opinions, but back to what I was saying is that sure. set and setting is, is vitally important. And in shamanic traditions, um, in some shamanic traditions, I would say all shamanic traditions that involve psychedelic substances, okay, there, they, there's the caveat. they stress the ritualistic side of it, the cleansing of your spirit, the mindful approaching of the substance, the reverence of the, of the ritual itself, the submission to what's going to happen to you in your mind, the desire to transform yourself and to become, you know, to be born again or, or whatever. Um, and that's not something that you find at faster horses. That's not something you find at electric forest. So um, these are festivals. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Those are, those are music festivals. Um, so, but I want to backtrack even, even further and say that I don't think it's just a distortion of reality because, uh, let's just take one example, psilocybin cubensis, which is street name magic mushrooms. It's a fungus. It's a mushroom that grows, um, naturally, and you can get spores online and you can grow them yourself. Um, the, that drug has been tested at John Hopkins University over 700 times on patients who are uh, either cancer patients, terminally ill, or people who are smokers. And what they've discovered is that one dose of psilocybin cubensis to a terminally ill um, cancer patient results in a total extirpation of their fear of death. Uh, they completely come, uh, come to terms with their own mortality. The last few months of their lives, this is all John Hopkins university. I'm having a hard time with, if, you, if, you, you if can, you, you you're not that. watching me, which I don't know how you'd be watching me right now, but there's some serious squinting going sure, on. Sure. So, uh, you know, all of these patients have just had uh, a profoundly spiritual experience and these terminally ill cancer patients describe it as uh, a very peaceful coming to terms with neural mortality and the fact that they're going to die. It's shown an 80% cessation, 85% cessation rate in smokers after one dose. And that that cessation has continued one year post, uh, dosage. They do not need any further doses. Um, two out of every three people who take psilocybin describe it as one of the, uh, sorry, 77% describe it as, um, one of the most profound experiences in their life next to things like marrying their spouse and having their first kid. So I, I think it's a very gross understatement to say that this is just distorting reality. I think this is, this is a divine experience that people are having that is equivalent to, or dwarfs the born again Christian, the baptism, the coming to Jesus, the, these are as real or more real than that. And I think you can't just say that this is a distortion of reality or a recreational. Well, can't I say both though? Can't I say both it's a distortion of reality, which I would say 
and I think you would say, but it's a positive distortion of reality. Because I don't think that we're that you would claim you're seeing reality in a more pure form. That's exactly what I would say. Okay, that's really interesting. What is it that you think, what barrier is this removing that we can see reality in a more pure form? Because I think when you look at these experiences, if you look at a written um, experience, which somebody takes, like everybody would say this was probably a ninth grader writing a fiction story, not somebody who has a deep spiritual journey. Um, is this, are you talking about John Hopkins right now? No, I'm not talking about John Hopkins. Uh, how many of these psychedelic experiences have you read up on people's personal experiences? Oh, with? a dozen, I, not very many. So, um, look at specifically psilocybin and DMT. So DMT reading those, uh, yeah, it makes Harry Potter look like the biography of Benjamin Franklin. Sure. Um, but the the point is, I mean, like if you spend any time listening to uh, seminars by um, uh, McKenna, Terrence McKenna, uh, or uh, listen to Paul Stamets, um, who's a mycologist, um, he, he studies um, fungi and, and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, you'll understand that it's not with the right set and setting with the mindful individuals, this is as profound as somebody becoming enlightened or um, after, you know, months on a, in, in the desert and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. So there's two routes I want to go on. First, I want to say that when you're talking about these individuals, these are obviously huge proponents of taking a psychedelic substance. And I would be more interested in looking at some, and I have not read the John Hopkins study. I do have it up on my computer. I do plan to read it later, but before having a qualified opinion on the topic, which would disqualify me from being on blacklisted remarks, I would say um, that I would be interested in a a third party perspective on that. um, And not us not coming from a proponent for something. um, Because I think that you have to see those as biased, but let's not go specifically down the road because I don't think that I'm qualified enough with doing enough research to know how to have a full conversation on that. I would be more interested in going down the road about when you say your acts, this is as profound as in you know, reaching enlightenment, mm-hmm. or this is more profound than, uh, than baptism or some other spiritual right. experience. Um, and you use the word earlier divine. Mm-hmm. What is it that you, when you say we're touching into the divine mm-hmm. or we're moving into the spiritual experience, what is it metaphysical? What is that yeah. experience that we're accessing? Yeah, I would say it's archetypal. I would say it's metaphysical. Um, I think that, uh, Aldous Huxley's, uh, noted, uh, novelist, he, um, wrote brave new world, um, uh, gates of or doors of perception um he was an uh i guess now they would call them psychonauts which are psychedelic astronauts sure um uh, back in the day i think he was in the early 19 19th uh 20th century early 20th century novelist and uh, he took lsd on his deathbed and one of the things he said is um beware of unearned wisdom um, so I'm going to leave that on the table for a second. I'll get back to it. And then the second will be Carl Jung, uh, the, the famous psychoanalyst and psych, uh, psychologist. And uh, one of the things that he said is regarding psychedelics is you're entering the realm of the gods. Sure. And that that is an immense responsibility. And that if you do, if you are not up to that, you will be crushed by that experience. And so I think both of those things are really important to understand. So um Speaking from my own personal experience, um, there are places 
and I'm sure you've experienced some of this as well through your uh, meditative practices, but there are places that you can go psychologically, mentally, um, consciously, sitting cross-legged on the floor that are more great and terrible than you can drive to in a car. Sure. Um, and the memory or the experience of those things impacts you far more than seeing the Grand Canyon would. Yeah. I would say, however, that I understand that those are figments of my imagination. And while they may have a profound impact on me, that I hold them separate from true reality. So have you ever had a mini enlightenment via, um, I don't know, that's a perversion of the word enlightenment. Uh, yeah, yeah but, I'm trying to understand what that might even mean. Um, perhaps just a, a profound realization or um, something that kind of rocked your world via meditation that when you opened your eyes after the two hour mark or whatever, you were, you were a different person. I definitely think that there's been experiences that I've had, which, um, have, have guided me one way or the other. I don't know that I've ever sat down to meditate and then got up off my cushion as a totally different person. There's definitely times where I thought I was getting up as a totally different person. Um, but later found that that was just, you know, hormones or whatever running around my brain thinking that, you know, something had fundamentally shifted about the universe around me. But I think that I have enough experience to engage in that conversation. And even when those, I, those happenings, experiences took place, I was able to say, at least to myself, this is in one sense of the word in a qualitative experience, like very impactful, but in a quantitative experience, like I don't believe that you know, this, this actually happened. I don't think that, you know, Mara, the great temptress, you know, actually released me, or I don't think that, you know, Buddha came down and whispered these things in my ear. I think that's my mind trying to make sense of what my subconscious is saying. And I'm interpreting that and I would hold those um, separate. And I would even say that when I'm in those deep meditative states, that my perspective of reality is deeply distorted and I'm not accessing a truer reality or, you know, um, removing the veil to a deeper spiritual universe. Rather, I am just distorting how I see reality. Kind of like when I look through a kaleidoscope, I can see something absolutely beautiful, but it's not true reality. But that often can't. So, uh, using, uh, ego death as a perfect example. I think that's, I'm not sure why I haven't struck on earlier, but um, so somebody who spends a large amount of time in, in pure mindful mindfulness will often find that the ego is an illusion and that will dissolve um, the sense of self. I've certainly heard reports of people saying that I've never met anybody or talked to anybody firsthand who would, would say that they've had that experience. Uh, I mean, well, I have, um, it wasn't sustained. I mean, like right now that that illusion is, is once again in full force, but I have had plenty of mini, um, maybe seconds long experiences of ego death Okay. where the, uh, where the experience, the sense of self just vanishes completely. And there's like just being, so maybe I, a, a bad understanding when I would use the word ego death, I mean, death as in a permanent activity, not as in a um, made up or temporary experience. You might call it like ego sleep or something where like the ego would like just went on hiatus or went to the water cooler for another drink of water. 
but I don't think you can call it ego death unless. Sure. Actually, I think Freud would also disagree with my use of ego death. Uh, how would you describe it when, um, in reference to, uh, like what is enlightenment when it comes to uh, relation with the sense of self? Is this, does the sense of self persist within enlightenment? Sure. So um, I'm trying to think about the best way. So I would say that the sense of self as an individual identity from others is both true and false. It is true that I am separate than Nick. I am not Nick um, or I'm not the the seat that I'm speaking on or the sandwich I ate for lunch. This is actually a smoothie if you listen to our voice check. Um, but I would also say that in the other sense of the world is thinking myself as a totally disconnected entity. The idea of a conscience is a made up um, mental construct, which is reinforced through social constructs. And the idea of enlightenment, um, which I air quote, would be the removal or significant reduction of that second idea of, of self. And it's can be seen within an fMRI about which parts of my brain are active and saying that when I see, and I think this is borne out through scientific studies, that when you see this spiritual experience or this reduction in an individual, what you're seeing is certain areas of my brain going dormant and certain areas becoming active. And would you say that that's a distortion of reality? Yes. So I think we might have a a distinction without a disagreement here. Okay. Um, so I'll play on, I'll play with those words just to see where this gets us. Um, innumerable people who mindfully take LSD experience the identical outcome of what a freshly minted bodhisattva might claim. I think that might be a, a large stretch to make, but uh, I'll roll with it here. And I think though you might call that a distortion of reality, I would say that that is a profound understanding of the human experience. And I think that that is why it is worthwhile to take psychedelic drugs um, because I think it's worthwhile to meditate. I think it's worthwhile to become more enlightened again i know i'm perversing that word but more enlightened than we are now um and i think that unlike meditating uh there is a guarantee that something will happen when you take one of these substances there's not a guarantee that when you sit down and focus on your breath that you're going to stand up 45 minutes later um any better off than when you sat down sometimes people are worse and i'm not saying that that's not the case with LSD or any of these other substances as well. Um, but the guarantee that something is going to happen, that you will see something that you haven't seen before. Sure. I, I think, and that again, in the proper set and setting when taken mindfully, uh, with good preparation, um, it will be a profound and beneficial experience for healthy individuals. So I'm going to, uh, try to venture into the world of supermen here for a minute, which if anybody knows me knows is a terrible idea to do, <laughs> but that's not going to stop me. So I kind of see our conversation going like this. I also think that living a more mindful life is a beneficial 
way for not only a human to live, but also for a human to live within a society. If a society, I think, had more mindful people, I think society as a whole would be a better place to live for all individuals. Our planet would be less of a burning wreck than it is now. Um, so I would agree with kind of our outcome. I would say that if we had our little analogy here, one person gets up every morning at five o'clock, eats a disgusting tasting, but very healthy breakfast, goes to the gym to work out, doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't eat sweets and works out. And over the course of time becomes a, um, what we might call a more healthy individual. Uh, and while it's certainly not promised, and actually it's very unlikely that the first time they go to the gym, they're going to walk out with a six pack, um, or even a massive reduction in the likelihood of heart disease that over time with lots of study and with lots of hard work, there'll be a sustained and long-term change in their perspective mm -hmm. on reality and their state of their overall state of mindfulness versus a secondary scenario where somebody wakes up in the morning, say, I don't know, 10 o'clock and go jumps in a vat of acid. And when they jump in a vat of acid in our superhero land, like something is definitely going to happen. Now they might like, die in the vat of acid um they might have they might jump out and be some sort of like green lantern guy um and they might jump out and have like green lantern like abilities for the next couple of hours and then those fade over time and i would say when i just look at life from a um uh, what is the correct approach to take on life scenario that my perception on life would with, with exceptions definitely allowed to this rule, would say it would be wiser for a human to wake up every morning and go to the gym than to jump into a vat of acid. Yeah, so I think the type of person that in that scenario, person A, I think should start going to the gym, do all these things, eat healthy, and then jump in the vat of acid. And I, I think that the person B who would just go there first to get their superpowers. Those are the people who go to the rave and somebody offers them Molly and they take it. And so what I'm saying is that uh, th there is this perception that, you know, psychedelics are a get rich quick scheme that if you just take this pill, everything is going to be better. And, you know, we, we distrust that as a society, but you don't have to, because you can look at the data. And, and this is why the research that's being done at John Hopkins is, is, earth shattering. So Chantax, um, Nicorette gum, all these different things to help somebody quit smoking these prescription medications or these over the counter things, uh, never even come close to what one dose of psilocybin convensus does, where 85% cessation rate of smoking. And after one year, they never pick up a cigarette again, they never have to take another dose. So that's a, that's a superpower, you know, that's, that's, they saw something. And if it's a distortion of reality, then I think everyone needs to distort their reality in ways that are beneficial in that way. But I don't think that's appropriate to label that as a distortion of reality. How is that not? In a, and I don't want to get caught up in semantics of definitions, but I want to get caught up in semantics of definitions. How is that not a distortion of reality? Like, I think to not be a distortion of reality, you'd have to be removing some barrier to understanding reality correctly. And I think something like addiction, I wouldn't say that addiction is stopping you from understanding reality. I correctly. Think it absolutely is. Obviously you've never been addicted to anything. I would say that even when people are addicted, their reality isn't distorted. They know oftentimes at least know that that is a 
a poor choice to be making and then and yet they keep making it right but i don't know that's because their reality is distorted as much as either their will isn't strong enough or they're just chemically dependent or they're psychologically dependent i don't think that their perception of the rules and the state of things around them i don't think they stop believing in gravity but their understanding of what is real what is possible what is good what is healthy i think becomes massively distorted by the addiction by the chemical dependency and i think shattering that perception is the opposite of distorting reality it is removing the barriers to understanding what is real i think things like uh psilocybin specifically do that so coming to so let me ask you this sure do you think it is uh an enlightened state of mind to be terrified of death no i would say being terrified is usually not a very mindful activity uh well okay i'm gonna actually put a big redaction on that statement because i'm there's people on my shoulder yelling at me um i would say that you can be fully mindful and be fully terrified at the same time so i I first put that caveat on the table but i would say if one person is terrified their likelihood of being mindful while Mm. being terrified is significantly less likely there's like six people in america that might be fully terrified and fully mindful at the same time yeah maybe uh so you are told you have four weeks to live and because of a massive tumor in your uh cranium and you are just absolutely terrified of death and you are having panic attacks every day and all of these things um you know you're distressed your family's distressed and whatnot and then you take you know three uh grams of psilocybin cubensis and you have a profoundly spiritual experience and you awaken sober and your fear of death is totally gone and you have come to terms with your own mortality how is that a distortion of reality or or some perversion of reality um and not the shattering of the illusion uh that fear has put up in front of somebody great question i think given that specific scenario um that you are just you are undergoing a temporary illusion to reframe a larger illusion i don't know that fear is an illusion um i think that i don't think fear is something which is made up or um something which i would describe in any way as illusory i would say that it's a fully legitimate experience now it may not be beneficial and if so if we're able to treat um, the fear of death in the manner which you described, which I need to do more reading before I fully endorse, then treating it as a symptom or as a disease would be a wise thing to do. But I wouldn't say that fear itself is a distortion. Um, It can be distorting. Uh, I think what fear does is prevent, I think it distorts reality as much as something like um hormones in a teenager might distort reality okay well if we're going to go here then we can just say that no human has a privileged perspective on reality no, no, everybody absolutely. has some distortion yeah for sure and, and just to kind of change gears i think that um because there's two there's two things that i want to get to and the first is that the benefits of um mindfully taking psychedelics the right psychedelics for you um I encourage people to look into psilocybin 
and how it has cured, and I mean genuinely cured depression in certain individuals. Um, and I and I don't mean like what you know Paxil does or what Pro uh, Prozac does, or, or six months later, you know you're kind of don't want to kill yourself. I mean like a genuine cessation of all depressive episodes uh, in people, um, a new newfound uh, desire to live. Sure. And whatnot. But I think that the flip side of that is there's also people who have taken psychedelics, maybe not our, our particular niche of a niche of a niche of a niche of a one chemical compound um, and found that it was, it was as it was so challenging that it caused them to fall into a deep depression. Right. So uh, they'd be called a bad trip. And there's no guarantee that even the healthiest, healthiest of individuals won't have a bad trip. Sure. Um, and that's this good segue into the next part that I wanted to say is um, over the last several weeks, I've been doing some research personally um, due to some mental health problems. And um, I think there, there was a lot of information that was left out to me um, by general society, people who are their argument pro weed, pro psychedelics, pro whatever, the people who are pro pharmaceuticals, there's just a lot that they kind of leave out. And there's some really important things that because everybody is an individual, and everybody will respond to these chemicals differently. I just wanted to share some of my own personal experiences with it in case somebody's following in my footsteps. Um, there is some things that I would not wish on my greatest enemy. Sure. Um, and one of them would be psychosis. Um, and I've had three psychotic episodes over the last few months. Two of them were induced by THC. Second one uh, decided never going to touch weed again for a very, very long time. Um, and then the third one was unprovoked by any chemical substance whatsoever. And um, just a total fragmenting of, of your sense of self, of any coherent understanding of reality, your psychological footing and foundation is obliterated. Um, all that's left is just the worst feelings and emotions that you could possibly have. And no words that I could possibly use to describe it would help. But all I would say is that physical pain does not come close to what psychosis is. And the lasting effects of it uh, made me start to think that I was schizophrenic. Um, luckily, that's been, uh, I've been told that I'm not, um, that though I might have, uh, you know, some symptoms or tendencies toward it that overall I'm grateful to not even be close to what uh, a schizophrenic or schizotypal so, individual. And so you made this really interesting comment that these were brought on not, not by psychoaptic substances because um, marijuana doesn't count in that category. Right. But I would also say, and I think this is something which is left out when I have just danced around very lightly mm. in the opposing literature, um, which we leave out that there are, and I will not disagree nor him or haw about there are certainly cases where in an individual setting somebody took a psychoeptic uh a substance and their life was changed for the better like right. if you gave them a 24-hour period before and after it was absolute yeah. uh, day and night 100 i would say that the same is true in reverse mm -hmm. that there have been people who have taken a psychoactive substance and within the course of a 24 hour period went from a relatively functional life to a fully broken human yeah. being, um, somebody who just could not function. And I have heard accounts of people who have done that once and felt broken for the rest of their yeah. life. 
and that's what I really wanted to address here is certain underlying factors. And maybe this should have been at the beginning of the podcast, not the end, but certain underlying factors. Russian bots, if you're still listening. Yeah, uh, that you really need to consider. Um, first is any family history of mental illness, period. Um, whether it's depression and anxiety or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, any mental illness whatsoever, if it's in your family, think long and hard before you touch any substance that could change your mind. Um, if you're an adolescent, um, if your brain has not finished developing, I believe it's 25, 24, 25, it's 26 for males and 24 for females, then do not touch one of these substances. Um, the data on marijuana and its effects on memory and cognition um, have gone back and forth for a really long time. Yep. Um, there'll be something that says you'll become an idiot by age 25. And if you start smoking when you're 12 and then there's another one, that's a twin study and it shows like, you know, no change whatsoever. So it's, that one's tough. But what the biggest thing that I learned is marijuana induced psychosis is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that people who, uh, have a psychotic break or become schizophrenic are generally pot smokers. And that every year that THC or every percentage that THC has increased in potency from uh, dispensaries around uh, America, there has been something like a 6% increase in ER visits really? for uh, marijuana induced psychosis. Hmm. Um, so people who smoke too much and their mind is not in a good place and THC is found to have a direct correlation to psychotic episodes and schizophrenia. Um, and so I was doing a little bit more research on this and it turns out things like, um, autoimmune disorders, uh, and non gluten or non celiac gluten intolerances can predispose somebody to mental illness, psychotic episodes and schizophrenia. So you have genetic factors that are loading the gun and then you smoke this weed that's out today. That's incredibly potent, uh, or you take um, LSD or MDMA or something, and you're already on rocky ground and it just destroys any foundation that you have. So I consider myself lucky that I'm still functioning. Sure. Um, but I, I just would highly encourage everybody that, that this is that none of these things ought to be taken without serious consideration of you as an individual. This is not some, I, I mean, yeah, I'm a libertarian, but I also think that like, just as a humanist, this is not something that you can make a blanket statement about mm-hmm. all of America that you should or shouldn't take drugs. It's like you really need to know you as yourself from a physical and mental standpoint and then also what you're trying to achieve in life. But I just would encourage caution to everybody. Would that mean that if so, if we bring this as we end the course of our episode, kind of back up to our initial conversation with the topics of like, should we do drugs? We mm-hmm. would say like both Nick and Spencer say yes doing drugs in the the big D word makes sense to do um, as long as you're doing so responsibly, probably under with good sound medical advice. Yeah. And then you have the subset, which in the U S we would have illicit drugs or other things which are not technically illicit, but produce effects like illicit drugs. Mm -hmm. And we would say that oftentimes those are not beneficial. And then we have this subset of a subset, which is these psychoactive substances, some of which have been shown or potentially shown to be beneficial and some of which have not. 
my position on this, I think, hasn't changed too much during the course of our conversation, being that this is up to you as an individual. And my comment to you wouldn't be, yes, go do it, or no, not go do it. But if you're going to do it, I want you to know this this checklist of yeah. things. I think when we started our conversation, you had this perspective of, yes, you should do drugs. Um, and by that, you didn't mean drugs. You meant psychoactive substances. Yeah. And now kind of listening to the end as you're kind of wrapping this conversation, I'm hearing almost the shift to not you should go do psychoactive substances, but you should definitely take them into consideration. And if you do consider them deeply, then you need to be aware of all these circumstances. Yeah. Is I that a perceived shift or is that an actual? No, that's just a perceived shift. That's That was my position originally. I think it's um, – I. I think that if health was not in question when taking one of these substances that I would still say like all humans ought to experience psychedelics at some point before they die. Can we say, would you be more likely to agree with the statement that all humans should experience some sort of ego death before they die, or does it have to come through psychedelics? No. So I misused the word ego death of Freudian students would disagree with me sure I, and i, I would say, too but maybe maybe for um all people should experience some form of enlightenment but i think the type of enlightenment like the flavor ice cream flavor of enlightenment that you get even from psilocybin to lsd to dmt is different including sure. um from buddhism to christianity to islam is different and i think that people should try to experience a lot of these different types of awakenings um they just need to do it as safely as they can i Based off what you're saying, I actually thought of a rather humorous thing that we could, we don't have a website for blacklisted, but if we did, um, we should put a flow chart, like, like a questionnaire, <laughs> the should you take drugs questionnaire, and it would just go through like, you know, is it legal? Is it not? Do you have access to it? Yes or no? What's your budget? Like, what's your genetic history? And, uh, you know, it would just like stop short if it was like, you know, do you have a history of mental illness in your family? And then it just quits right there. Like, no, you should not take drugs. As long as all of the paths end at no, and we can have a legal disclaimer at the bottom. <laughs> I'll, I'll, if there's a path which leads to yes, uh, it's not going on a website that I have any control uh, I'll over. Put it on, I'll put it on nextdumpositive.com. <laughs> I'll over find to... you a good liability attorney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go hop over to nickstumpars.com if you want to find out of whether or not you should take drugs. <laughs> um, and Spencer and I hereby waive all liability for any potential. Oh, we're way too far past psychotic that point. episodes. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on that? No, um, I, I would. I guess my one caveat, which I'm required as a human to do, is to say that if you're considering doing an illicit substance, you should think very long and very hard about the outcomes. Um, both positive and negative to do your research really strongly um, and to know the consequences which you which you might encounter if you choose to do a psychoactive or any other type of drug. I think I'll just leave with the, the two quotes that I said earlier, which is uh, beware of unearned wisdom. And when you take a psychedelic, you are entering the realm of the gods and that that, that is a very big responsibility and you need to be strong enough to carry that. You've been listening to Blacklist Remarks. I'm Spencer Field. I'm Nick Stumphauser. Until next time.